Welcome to the Draft Nut Podcast. I'm Jared Feinberg, your host for today's episode. Devin Jackson could not be coming on or could not come on today. Um, he's got some stuff going on at work. So it's just me and our special guest for today. Joining us is senior NFL draft analyst for the Draft Network and co-host of the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast and Dennis Hader, Trevor Sigma. <laughs> Trevor Welcome to the pod. Good to have you, my man. I appreciate you having me on, Jared. Yeah, that's a little, uh, for those who don't know, Ben and I went on a little bit of a rant this week on the Lockdown NFL Draft podcast where we kind of think that dentists are a little bit of a scam. And so if you're a dentist out there, I'm sorry. But um, yeah, that's that's kind of the rant that we went on earlier this week. I, I was cracking up on driving home yesterday from working out, listening to the start of that podcast, and I was... I was crying, man. That, <laughs> ben went off, and it's I was so, like, chill. It's so funny because I, I try my hardest to just find the buttons where I can poke Ben to just get him to freak <laughs> out because that's the best part about having a co-host like that is that uh, I love Ben. He's so knowledgeable, great co-host, but every now and then I'll find like a little thing where I can get him to freak <laughs> out about something, and that's when it's really uh, podcast gold, I think. Oh man, yeah, I love Ben. He he's a treasure. Um, he is. I, I hope to bring him on one day um, onto the podcast, and I know that's probably going to be a hell of a podcast. It would indeed. Ben makes every podcast he's on extremely entertaining, so I have no yes. doubt about that. If you get him on, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, I know you got some stuff going on later today, so we'll go ahead and get started. So. Roddy White, former Atlanta Falcons, great wide receiver, mm-hmm. is advi- is saying or advising Trevor Lawrence, the best quarterback in the nation, best quarterback in the entire draft, probably the best player in college football right now. He's advising Lawrence to stay at Clemson for another year and to avoid the Jets. So what are your, your thoughts on that? Should Lawrence stay another year and avoid the Jets or no? Yeah, so this is the big like topic that everybody's been talking about, it seems like, over the last week. And I know we've seen it in the past. Like Peyton kind of did it when he was coming out from Tennessee, stayed an extra year. Uh, obviously, his brother Eli was in a similar situation where he actually went to the draft, got drafted by a team, and then said, I am not playing for you, right? John Elway's done the same thing, did that with the Baltimore Colts. He said he wasn't going to play for them. And so it's not unprecedented to see quarterbacks flex their muscles a little bit. And as we've seen over the last calendar year, athletes, especially college athletes are realizing that they have a lot more power than they think. You know, they have a lot more say in what goes on than the rules have dictated in the past. And so it's not out of the blue for this to kind of come up with this discussion, but you know, here's, here's where I fall on the matter. I think Adam Gase sucks as a head coach. You know, like I, I just think that yes. he's 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 bad, and he's he's actively hurting the organization by still being the head coach. But I don't think that's going to be the case come draft time because I don't think Adam Gase is still going to be there. I think it's going to be quite literally an entirely new coaching staff. I think that absolutely everyone is going to be out of that building. I think it's going to be a completely new coaching staff. Joe Douglas is still going to be there as the GM, but. I like Joe Douglas, at least, you know, for now, and I haven't really seen exactly anything to, you know, even even for the people who are low on Joe Douglas, who might be like, yeah, I don't really think he's a great GM. 
you wouldn't say that he's a bad GM to the point where you'd hold out and not want to play for the organization. You know, I, I know the ownership isn't exactly great and active the way that it needs to be with the Jets, but I do really think that this is kind of going to be a wake-up call. And so for a lot of people, because there are, there are more people than I thought there would be that agree with Roddy White in this scenario, for all of those people, I would simply say to them, I don't think the Jets are going to look like this in eight months. And as a matter of fact, I think that if the Jets have the number one overall pick, they are going to hand pick a coach that would work great for Lawrence. You know what I'm saying? Like that's going to go into their equation. They already know who they are going to pick at number one overall. So the entire you know, head coach interview, whoever they have, whoever they brought in, the number one and maybe the only thing on the whiteboard for them to talk about during that meeting is going to be, what are you going to do with Trevor Lawrence? Tell us how you are going to groom this player to win us Super Bowls. And like, that's the whole conversation. So if Adam Gase were staying, like if it was this current Jets regime, yeah, maybe I'd give some second thoughts about Lawrence if I, if I were him uh, coming out of the draft. But I just don't think – like the Jets aren't going to be in this similar situation come April. So in that sense, I, I don't agree with what he's saying. I think that Lawrence should come out, and I think that he could easily have a lot of say and swing with his camp subtly on who maybe even might be the head coaching candidate for them moving forward. Yeah, I, I just think this argument about him staying at Clemson and avoiding the Jets, it's ridiculous. Like – Trevor Lawrence is a franchise quarterback or the next level, in my opinion. He is someone, I think, that can do more with less. The only reason I think people don't want Lawrence in New York is, like you said, Adam Gase is the head coach in 2021. And if that's the case, then burn the Jets organization to the ground. Right, completely. right. And, you know, I feel like we're doing this with Lawrence like we did with Joe Burrow during the draft process where people were saying, or there were rumors of Joe Burrow not wanting to play for Cincinnati, and then he denounced those rumors in or at the Combine. So it, I think it's just people trying to find a way to say, oh, we need to have Trevor Lawrence another year. He, we care about his future and all that, and I totally get that. But there's going in eight months, there's, going, there's probably going to be a brand-new coaching staff, Joe Douglas is still going to be around. It at the very, very top of the Jets organization is still the same. But if your coaching staff looks good enough and you start to build around that quarterback position with the number one pick, knowing you're going to get Trevor Lawrence, I I don't have any problems with Lawrence playing for the Jets. I absolutely don't. I don't have any problems with him playing for any other team that gets the number one pick. I don't have a problem with him getting drafted by Carolina if they lose the rest of the season, but that's another topic. But, you know, it. I, I just really do think this whole argument's ridiculous. And, he, and Lawrence has already said he's going to be playing. He's playing as. Right. right. There's, so, the, the thing with the thing with Lawrence, too, is that I, I understand. I understand, like, hey, you don't want to ruin your career by going to an organization that's like super terrible, but like, it, you know, it's kind of different for Lawrence, I think, because 
when we talk about the Jets and like Sam Darnold, like Darnold, you know what I'm saying? So they right. drafted Darnold and he needed development and he didn't get it. And that's why he doesn't look great. Lawrence, I'm not saying he's perfect. He definitely like needs development. But if Lawrence were to be drafted by the Jets, let's just say like the same Adam Gase, New York Jets. If Lawrence would have been drafted to the Jets, like he's still going to look awesome. So like the rubber's going to meet the road at some point. So it's not like, you know, when people go, oh, you can't get drafted to the Jets because the Jets are going to ruin you and they're going to keep you around for a couple of years. Listen, if Adam Gase sucks with tra- with Trevor Lawrence in his first year with the New York Jets and he'd be with the Jets, I mean, he's going to be gone anyways. Trevor Lawrence is going to have power. And I, I think that this might be where people aren't taking – Lawrence's power into consideration because they go, all right, he has all the leverage right now. He could say no and not go to the New York Jets. Look, if Trevor Lawrence goes to the New York Jets next year, let's say the situation is the same, it's still bad. He could very much basically demand to be traded or hold out in his second year. He can do that. Now, is he holding out for a new contract? No, but he can do that in the offseason and be like, look, this team's not going anywhere. This is terrible. I'm not wasting my career here. So I get like he can do this at any time. And I just think it's a weird situation to argue right now because we don't know what the Jets are going to look like when Trevor Lawrence drafts him. And I think that that's the biggest talking point that is not talked about is is that when people make this argument and they say you know the Jets are terrible Adam Gase is terrible they shouldn't move on the Jets are going to look totally different as an organization I think when draft day rolls around so that's that's why I think that it's a little overblown and there are some core pieces with the Jets right now you got young talent like Makai Becton at left tackle when he's healthy he's been an absolute stud this year Quentin Williams when he's on his A game he's a monster I mean, you got guys you can really build around in a sense. Denzo Mims could develop into something nice, hopefully. But, you know, Trevor, I feel like Trevor Lawrence, wherever he goes, he's going to be fine. Even if he's like a top 10, 15 quarterback in the NFL, he, like if he goes to like the perfect situation, he, he can absolutely be one of the of the NFL. But if he goes to somewhere like the Jets, probably to start out his career, he could be still a top 10, 15 quarterback. But, you know, so much can change over the next few months where we could see Adam Gase fired before the end of the season. So, you know, the Jets could all of a sudden start winning games and they'll be out the first pick. I have to talk about. Trevor Lawrence going to the Jets, we'd be talking about Trevor Lawrence going to some other team, maybe Mm -hmm. the Giants or even the Washington Redskins, or not the Washington Redskins, the Washington football team. Still wants to say that. Yeah, right, right. Um, I'm like that with uh, with the Chargers. I keep always just wanting to say San Diego, and it's just it's obviously Los Angeles now. I'm I'm trying to get used to saying Las Vegas Raiders as well. Yeah, that one too. That's that's one too. So many times I've caught myself saying Oakland. I'm like, mm. crap, they're not in Oakland. <laughs> and it sucks. Um, but yeah, I, I really don't think, I really do think this argument is ridiculous. Like I've said before, um, I think wherever Lawrence goes, he's going to be fine. He's yep. still going to be a baller. So I have nothing to really worry about with Lawrence. Um, and there's, it'd be hard to 
it'd be hard for Christopher Johnson, the owner of the Jets, to keep Adam Gase under the year. He's going to be gone after this year one way yes. or another because if they go 0-16, you can't keep a coach that goes 0-16. You just can't. I'm surprised the Browns didn't fire Hugh Jackson when he went 0-16. So, you know, it, crazy stuff has happened in the NFL. I'm hoping we don't see a Lawrence situation where, like, he says, okay, I don't want to play for this team. I want to play for that team. You're I, a Clemson I, guy too, right? Yeah, I am. And yeah, so so you would you would want Lawrence to stay another year, probably. I, I'm probably one of the more unbiased Clemson fans. You'll know, like if he wants to go pro, go pro. Like Lawrence should not have to stay another year, in my opinion. I think Lawrence should go to the NFL right now. I I really thought ETN should have gone to the NFL last year. He mm-hmm. could have been a first round pick last year, in my yeah. opinion. Um, just off his elite speed overall and he could even go higher this year because he's become this all-around player so I'm, I'm really excited to see Clemson throughout the rest of the year I think this is one of their best rosters they've had in quite a while and they have it's just a monster um Miles Murphy he he's been a beast off the edge um he's really underrated and he's someone I'm going to keep an eye on for 2023 so, we got the Big Ten coming back this weekend. Yeah, we Wisconsin do. kicking off Friday. Um, and also, we got plenty of prospects from the Big Ten to look forward to. So, Trevor, who are some of the prospects you are most excited about to see this weekend in the Big Ten? Uh, well, I think it, it, it comes down to the guys who had a lot to prove that would have lost out on a year and when i think of that i think of guys like edge rusher jason Oa from and edge rusher quitty pay from michigan you know these are guys who are athletic freaks that have all yep. the tools if you will you know that they, they can they can fill your mind with all sorts of potential of how they can attack offensive tackles in the NFL, but we haven't seen it consistently. We've seen the flashes, but we just haven't seen things consistently. And so those are two guys that I automatically jump out of the page that that jump off the page to me when I'm kind of remembering my scouting notes of these guys during the summer where it's like, hey, we get another year of these players. And and that's exciting because there are guys that really have a chance to solidify themselves as shoot not just first round picks but maybe top 20 perhaps top 15 picks and so right. they got a lot of money to make especially for playing that edge rush position so those are two guys i'm really looking forward to um sean wade another one that i'm, I'm very much looking forward to because i love sean wade's tape now he yeah. played slot corner for ohio state last year simply because they had two first rounders on the outside they had damon arnett on one side and they had jeffrey akuda on the other and so it was just like okay well I guess Sean Wade's going to play nickel corner. And he was a six foot one, 195 pound, 200 pound nickel corner, which does not always happen. You know, we always, we tend to see those smaller, more compact corners be the guys that are playing that slot position. And so you could just tell that Sean Wade looked like he was an outside corner playing slot. And when I say that, I don't mean it as a negative because I think that he played it really, really well. Um, Rondell Moore got the better of him a little bit the year before, but hey, Rondell Moore gets the better of a lot. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to Sean Wade because I really like his talent ceiling, but it would have been a total project because he's never started at outside corner. 
And so that's where he's going to play in the NFL. And he just he really didn't have any snaps there. And so now we get Sean way back. He actually gets to play that outside cornerback spot, which I think is really important for him and a tape because he is another guy who, I mean, we're, we're talking about not just a first rounder, a possible top 15 kind of player. There's some offensive weapons that I think are going to light the world on fire. Chris Olave, I'm very excited to see where he fits in with this wide receiver class. I, I mentioned Rondale Moore getting to see him back after he opted out was um, really great. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to see him because he is, uh, yeah, one of my favorite prospects. Rashad Bateman is another one, absolutely, at Minnesota. He was a guy who also opted out that is now back in, getting another year of college football. Then the guy who we didn't talk about is is the obvious one, Justin Fields. Justin Fields has a lot of money to make in the sense that he needs to solidify that QB2 spot. Some people would tell you potentially QB1. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. But Fields, if he has a really strong Big Ten campaign and then in the college football playoff as well, Right now, I think there's a little bit of a debate, right? Because it's it's always Lawrence going number one overall in these mock drafts. And then there's a little bit of wiggle room with who's number two. Like I've seen Gregory Rousseau, if a team needs a pass rusher and they're picking number two. Uh, Penny Sewell from Oregon, if, if a team needs an offensive tackle and they're playing number two. If there is a team that needs a quarterback picking at that spot, sometimes it is Justin Fields. But there's some parity there. Justin Fields can play well enough to where he can guarantee he's about to go number two overall in the draft no matter what team is there because it will either be a team that needs a quarterback or Justin Fields will have played so good that a team who does need a quarterback might be trading up to number two with a team that might not need a quarterback. And so I think that in that sense, he's got a lot of money to make. I already think that he's a top five pick, but he he can really solidify himself as that number two guy. Yeah, Justin Fields, there's there's so much you you, you love about Fields. Um, and I've heard the comp thrown around like he's a smaller version of Cam Newton. I, feel, I think Ben was the one that brought that comp up when you guys were discussing Justin Fields um, during the summer scouting uh, series. And that comp has always been in my mind. I'm like, Oh, it makes so much sense. And Fields has been training under Cam Newton. He's been Newton has been training Justin Fields. Right. So, you know, I think this is it's I'm so happy Field we're going to be seeing Fields on the field um again. Uh because, you know, when they initially canceled the Big Ten season, I was like, Well, Fields might have to sit for a year under a under a bridge quarterback, but now he has the opportunity to prove he can be a day one starter in the NFL. So the thing, if Fields wants to have a shot at being QB one, he has got to really fix his mental processing. I think he's a little raw in that area. Um, I think he's accurate, but sometimes the ball can be a little behind thrown he only threw one interception but or no three interceptions but he's he he there there were plays where he almost threw maybe had he would have had maybe six or seven interceptions at one point so there's some there's still some things to really fix with fields but I think overall he is just a terrific quarterback, and I think Justin Fields playing college football is good for the sport. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, if he plays well enough, it's going to be a really fun discussion or a really interesting discussion between Lawrence and Fields for potential QB1. But I doubt that happens. I think Lawrence is far and away the best quarterback in this draft and also the, the best player in the entire draft. A couple of players I'm really excited about in the Big Ten are Pat Fryermuth, uh, Rashad Bateman, Rondell Moore, and Sean. His kind of, because we're seeing ACC and SEC play, he's been kind of the forgotten name in the tight end class. He, he is my tight end one. Devin has him as tight end one as well. He, he has that all around pro ready skill set that you look for in an NFL tight end. And he's got that. And I think, and I know you're a Florida guy. I know you love Kyle Pitts and I love him too. But I think Fryermuth brings a lot more to the table as a blocker and as an, as a route runner and whatnot than Pitts. But that's just me. And I'll have to look back at the tape of Pitts from this year as well as Jordan to really see, okay, who is really tight end one? So the tight end one discussion is going to be very, very interesting because you got all these special skill sets, all these guys that play super, super well with their own, with their own, with their own, with their, with their own type of skill sets. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. And I think Baby Gronk is a good comp right now for Frymuth. I know that's kind of a lazy comp, but it kind of makes sense with the type of player or the type of player that Frymuth is. Um, Rondell Moore, I think he needs to really show that he can be one of the more exciting players in the NFL. I think that's his ceiling. He can be a Tyreek Hill type of impact. He can have that type of impact. Um, Rashidman. I think he needs to prove he can be a wide receiver one in the NFL. And I think there's an argument he can be the first receiver off the board come April. Um, I know quite a few people have Rashad, Rashad Bateman as the receiver one over Jamar, uh, Jamar Chase. Um, Sean Wade, I think you were talking about it. Um, if there was no season, People would be questioning, okay, can he really play on the outside? Because all he did was play nickel throughout most of his career at Ohio State. Now he's going to be starting on the outside for Ohio State. And if he plays at a high level on the outside, his versatility, his athleticism is going to be so coveted come draft time. And I'm really excited to see Sean Wade on the field, and I'm hoping that he – really makes a case to be the first defensive player off the board because he has that type of potential, but we need to see how he does playing on the outside. Yeah. I'll just go back to Fryermuth because I, I didn't touch on him earlier. You know, the, I, I just want to make sure that everybody doesn't get too carried away with the more pro ready or like more NFL ready skill set between him and Kyle Pitts, because we're seeing every single week that offensive-minded head coaches and again good offensive coordinators are willing to make the most out of all these kinds of different skill sets when it comes to playing tight end. You're right. I, I don't think that Kyle Pitts is as strong of a blocker as Pat Fryermuth, no doubt about it. But what he can do and how he can impact the receiving game kind of goes along the same lines as what people are talking about with devaluing running backs versus 
you know, other positions that could really help out in the passing game. I'm not devaluing what Fryermuth can do as a blocker. I mean, like you see guys like Travis Kelsey or Zach Ertz or uh, players like that where they're really dominating the tight end position by being these these kind of more inline guys. And I think there's certainly a lot of value to that. I'm not trying to take away from it, and I'm not trying to also kind of stick my head in the sand and make an argument for Kyle Pitts, but there is so much value to what Pitts does, and I think that that is really important. And so tight end one, it's it's a fun debate. It's cool to go back and forth, but honestly, it could differ from team to team, just however they want to use them. There's Correct. almost no wrong answer at this point. Now, like if you're using Kyle Pitts, if you're going to try to use Kyle Pitts as an inline tight end, okay, that's a wrong answer. Um, Fryer Muth, like it, right now, when I look at him, he's averaging only 4.7 yards per target. And, um, no, not targets. He, he's only averaging, sorry, 4.7 tar, like total targets per game, which they got to bump that up. I mean, like that's what I'm most looking forward to with Pat Fryer Muth. Use this dude more, you know, like get him involved in the offense, please, because he, we've seen the flashes. We know what he could be, but it just doesn't seem like Penn State was willing to get him the ball in previous seasons. And so I don't want to make it so divisive with this tight end one talk. It really kind of comes down to a choice of preference, but it's hard to find a wrong answer. As long as you have an open mind and you're picking the guy that's right for your offense, if you if you do more in-line work with your tight ends, like if you are uh, like what the, what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do or what the Tennessee Titans do or something like that, then, yeah, you're going to – Pat Frymuth is going to be a better player for you. But if it's more of that slot tight end stuff, Darren Waller uh, – I said Zach Ertz before, but, you know, like he, he's he, he's another one who, who plays a lot in the slot. Those kinds of guys then – Pick Kyle Pitts, like Kyle Pitts, your tight end one. So I just I don't think that there is a I don't think there's a wrong answer here with who's going to be tight end one. I just want to see Pat Frymuth get the ball more this season, like actually utilize him in the passing game. I I think we I think we'll see Pat get the ball a lot more this season because I was listening to an Instagram live of Chris Fowler, um, someone I truly respect, one the. Best play-by-play callers in all college football, maybe all of football. Um, and he was saying, you know, we're, we're seeing this explosion of offensive play because of the type of offseason we've had. Like teams aren't hitting as much because of COVID-19 and the restrictions that, and the restrictions that are in place, you know, so we could see. We, we know the Big Ten as this, as sometimes like a slugfest type matchup between two Big Ten teams, but we could see shootouts left and right from the Big Ten. We could see Pat Fryermuth go off this season because there will be a more emphasis in the passing game than there has in previous years in the Big Ten. And there might not be a lot of good defensive play, but there will be more effort. So... You know, I, I I see this tight end, the tight end one conversation almost similar as to what the wide receiver one conversation was last year when you had Lamb, Judy, and Ruggs. This year, it's for the tight end class, Fryermuth, Pitts, Jordan. So I, I've, I've said that plenty of times um, throughout the past few weeks and even during summer scouting, like, this is some of the this is a great trio of tight ends at the top. And when you look at all the other tight ends, 
it, you still got plenty of good depth and guys that can really make their name, make a name for themselves throughout the drive process. That Ole Miss tight end, I don't remember what his name was. He, he went off against Alabama. I was really impressed with his play. Um, so was, uh, Devin Jackson as well. So those are some of the players I'm really excited about from the Big Ten this season. Um, of course I'm excited about seeing Justin Fields. Wyatt Davis as well. I'm excited to see what he can do this year as well, now that he's considered one of the best interior offensive linemen in the country. So really excited to see Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, um, the center for Ohio State, um, Mm -hmm. some offensive tackles. Um, I'm just really excited to see Ohio State overall and see if they can make that push to be the best team in college football because, in my opinion, they have the talent. They have the coaching. They have everything they need to be the best team in college football and go on to win the national championship. But you still got to deal with Clemson. You got to deal with Alabama. I mean, you got to deal with those teams. So Right. Um, I just need them to make the college football playoff. I, I need to see Ohio State against those better teams. I want to see it. Me too. And I, I, I want to see Fields up against a Clemson defense or an Alabama defense or just – one of those playoff team defenses, and if he balls out, does a very, very good job against those defenses, then there's going to be more conversation uh, ramping up of, oh, he can be QB1. So mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Um, some news that came out Tuesday, Tua Tagovailoa, he's starting for the Miami Dolphins in two weeks. Yeah. That I'm so so happy that Tua is starting. I I feel like he could have been the starter a few weeks ago, but with the bye week, and then you got the game against Los Angeles, the Rams. I think that's ample and great time for Tua to really start having that chemistry with the first team starters, mm-hmm. and you know. I was talking to Devin earlier and I think we both agreed that, that this is, this seems like the right time to put Tua in because of that bye week. So Trevor, you put out an article for the draft network about how starting Tua is the right call now. Talk to me more about that and why it's really the best decision moving forward. Yeah, well, I'll first first say that I, I get why it's hard. You know, this it, it wasn't a no-brainer. The reason I, I might think that it's the right call or the reason why the Dolphins think the right call isn't because it's it, it's easy. It, it, I want to make that clear right off the bat because the team is on a two-game win streak. They're one game back at the division. They've got their last four, and a big reason why is because of their quarterbacks, because of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And benching him makes it even harder, not just because of the wins, but because – He's an awesome dude. Like everywhere that I've heard about Fitzpatrick, and I got to cover this, especially in Tampa, players love him. Like everybody around him just – he's they love to play for him. He's such a happy dude. He loves the game of football. It's infectious. And when you bench a guy like that, it hurts. It's, it, it's hard to do. But if you take a step back, I think you realize that this was as long as Tua is ready. And I think that that's important to remember. I am I am saying, and, and you are saying, and other people are saying that this is the right call, but it's only the right call if you handled this correctly on the inside, if behind the scenes this was handled the right way, if yep. Tua is fully healthy, 
if he is fully ready to be a starting quarterback, meaning his preparation, his work ethic, how he's understanding film right now, all that kinds of stuff. Is that the right thing to do? What did you properly allow the locker room to digest this possibility and this plan? Because you also didn't. And it, it doesn't sound like they did this part, at least from what I've read. You don't want to just pull the rug out from underneath the whole roster because like uh, like I said before, they're winning. Winning is great in the NFL. Winning changes everything. And so Tua, I think, is going to be worse than Ryan Fitzpatrick right now, like in the immediate short term. He's going to be learning as a rookie in the NFL how to do yep. things. So this team is probably going to start losing. You really would have need to have prepped this team and this roster to know that Tua was going to be the guy at some point this season – in order to avoid everyone on the roster thinking, well, shoot, Ryan had this team playing really well and they benched him. What am I next? You know, because at that point you don't want some sort of question or mutiny in the locker room between the head coaching staff and and um, and the players. And I don't think Brian Flores is a, the kind of coach who would lose that too quickly, but all of that has to be right. And if it was, this makes sense because – like you mentioned there, they got the bye week coming up. I get that it's Aaron Donald of the Rams, but who cares? He gets he gets 10, 11 days to prepare for it. That's the best situation that you can have. The Arizona Cardinals are after that, and though the Cardinals are a good team, they've put together uh, a nice season so far six games in, they're still kind of a wild card. It's not like they're running over teams. It's not like they're a juggernaut. And then after that, they have the one-win Bengals, the one-win Chargers, the New York Jets, the zero-win New York Jets, and then a – Another team in the Denver Broncos that are kind of struggling to have an identity. Those are the four games that they play after these next two. So what better stretch to allow Tua to play and grow a little bit than those kinds of teams? Because then they end the season, I believe, with the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Raiders, I believe is what their schedule ends with. Those are the last four games. And those are really tough. So there were a lot of people that were saying, okay, you don't make, don't make the switch to Tua. Or, yeah, don't make the switch to Tua because you want to wait for Ryan Fitzpatrick to be bad before you make the stretch. Okay, well, Ryan Fitzpatrick has them 3-3. Three and three. Their three wins are against three bad teams, by the way. The three good teams that they played, they lost to. Mm-hmm. Let's say he splits these next two games. Let's say they lose to the Rams with, with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. They lose to the Rams. They beat the Arizona Cardinals. Now they're 4-4. Four and four. Now they're about to play four terrible teams. Let's say they win three out of those four. Okay, now they're seven and five. They've given themselves false hope all of a sudden because then they play four teams that the Dolphins probably can't beat. Let's say they go one and three in that stretch. Okay, now all of a sudden they're eight and eight. They lost out on making the playoffs. They lost out on the division. They're eight and eight. And all they did was waste a year with Tua now sitting on the bench. And Tua now has to get his very first snaps as a starter in the NFL to start 2021. And you basically put 2021 as a wash as well, all because you wanted to go after a dream that probably was not going to exist when Miami made the playoffs this year. So I would rather, with that being the case, take the chance on Tua, give him the 10 games to start, and then really come out the gate strong next year and make a shot for that divisional run. That's what I think when I look at this situation. I'm – I've been really surprised with how well Miami's been playing these last few weeks. Um, and, you know, I, I think, I think Tua, he, yeah, he's, 
not going to be the better quarterback starting these next few weeks because Fitzpatrick's been playing really well. But, you know, I think this was the plan the entire time, I feel like. You know, they were going to start Tua at some point, and if Brian Flores felt like Tua was ready to start, he was going to start him no matter what the record was. And they're 3-3. Three and three. The playoffs are kind of outside hope, but it's there's a – there's a tiny chance at it still, but if Tua comes out of the gate and plays well against Los Angeles, beats them, then beats Arizona, then you got that stretch of games against all those bad teams, the Dolphins could end up being the surprise team of the year, and Tua could end up making a potential case for Offensive Rookie of the Year if he – I mean – I. I'm not saying he's going to go out there and put up an insane amount of production, but if his te- if a Tua-led team comes out of the gate and has a winning record throughout that six, seven-game stretch, then the Dolphins should be considered a wild-card contender for the last few weeks, and then you got to really get those games at the end of the season against New England and Oakland. So... You know, if Tua struggles early on, it wouldn't surprise me because he's a young quarterback. He's still learning the he's still learning the ins and outs of being at the pro level. But if he comes out and looks like the same quarterback we saw before he got hurt last November, then you know, I think the Dolphins have a really good shot at the wild card at the seventh seed at the least or at the most. So, you know, this is going to be a very interesting time for the Dolphins to see what they have in Tua. And if Tua ends up playing somewhat well, like there's no, there's no doubt about it. Fitzpatrick, this is his final year. He's gone. Tua will have a backup for him next year. And the Dolphins have a shot at the division title, like you said. So, you know, it looks like the NFC East is really – not the NFC East, the AFC East is really on the rise, and I'm really excited to see what happens there. We got some breaking I think you may have seen this um, pop up. Um, Vikings and the Ravens made a trade. Um, defensive end Yannick Ngoye to Baltimore for a 2021 third-round pick and a 2022 conditional fifth-round pick per Adam Schefter. So I know you're probably going to have to do stuff on that. I'll go ahead and let you go. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Very excited to have Trevor on today. Um, Trevor, thank you so much for coming on. Um, It was a pleasure to have you on. Um, I wish Devin was on to have a more longer conversation. Hopefully maybe we can do another episode one day. Um, hopefully during the draft process and, um, you know, I'm able to go to the senior bowl. I hope to see you there. Yeah, man. No, I appreciate you having me on the podcast. It was a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again. Yes, sir. Guys, thank you so much. Take care. Peace.